Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to another casual Friday behind the scenes mini. I'm Holly uh-huh. Fry. I'm Tracy B. Wilson. Uh, Tracy, today, uh, I feel like a lot of our episodes lately have been inspired by our current situation uh-huh. uh this is definitely one of them where we talked about annie londonderry and her wild trip that was not what she said it was nope around the world uh, i imagine that we will probably continue to have episodes maybe not all of them but episodes that are in some way inspired by the fact that we are living through a pandemic currently yeah i mean if nothing else like i think we're being very deliberate in our choices about like we could use some lightness or mm. this may shed light on how we deal with with the ideas of contagion or whatever. Um, right. Yeah. In Annie's case, here's the thing I love about her that we didn't really talk about in the episode because it's kind of like, uh, you know, just psychological commentary that I there's not real evidence for it. It's just conjecture. But I love that when people would point out inconsistencies in her story she never was like, oh my gosh, I'm mortified. She would just adjust her story to make it all work. Like <laughs> She was like doing the fastest footwork ever where it would be like, you couldn't have gone all this way on your bicycle. And she'd be like, oh, no, no, no. I was on a ship, but then I got off the ship. I went and did things on my bicycle. And they would be like, you, you know, couldn't have possibly made it back to port in time. And she'd be like, oh, well, I did. I, uh, it was just very lucky on my part. Like, it, it was mm-hmm. all- she was just always rolling with the next like moment of doubt. She did not believe in there being bad press. She was definitely like any press is good press. And she was, as we talked about in the the show, in it uh, with some very savvy money-making schemes of making herself essentially a rolling billboard. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of uh, may be a pathological liar, but I really admire her hustle. Yeah, I... um. When I was first reading through this outline, I was really focused on, like, her clothing and how really uncomfortable and impractical that seems, like, for a long bike trip or any bike trip. A bike trip to the end of the driveway. Like, really <laughs> very uncomfortable and practical. But then when we get to the part about her getting the lighter bicycle, and it became clear to me that the original bicycle had weighed something like 40 pounds, I was just like... But- that's so much weight of yeah. bicycle. Yeah. Um, like it kind of reminded me of when people do through hikes of the Appalachian trail and they have, um, you know, the super duper ultra lightweight backpack with yeah. the lightest possible things in there. Um, and still there have been incidents uh, I'm sure people still do this. I, it would be better if not, because you don't. You want to leave things better than you found them in nature. But people just being like, you know what? I don't need is this cup anymore. And yeah. I'm just gonna leave it here. I'm gonna drop it. Uh, yeah. It also made me think about. I have had a number of friends uh, who do triathlons, and how several of them have that story of the first time I tried like a sprint triathlon, which is a much shorter version. They didn't want to invest in a triathlon bike because they're really expensive until they had tried one to see if it was something they actually wanted to do and felt like they could rise to the challenge of. And so they often just are like using whatever their bike is and how that becomes just like 
the most painful part of that whole mm-hmm. thing. It is not the swimming or the running. It's biking on a bike that is not really appropriate for that. And I feel like that was that Columbia bike. Yeah. I, think I had read it weighed 44 pounds. Um, we have two exercise bikes in our home. So it's kind of a long story how we got two exercise bikes. We did not purchase either of them. They were part of a beta test for a thing. Um, And the seat on the one that I use is so uncomfortable until you get used to it that I was really thinking about how awful it would be to to just be on this heavy bike in your heavy, chafy clothing that stinks and is so heavy and awful when it's wet. And then also probably that bike seat does not feel good under your body. And she did not have experience as a cyclist. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, there is part of me that's a little bit judgy because you brought this on yourself, girl. But um, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, we mentioned in the show that between Boston and Chicago, she had lost 20 pounds. Mm-hmm. But later on, uh, she describes to people that she actually gained 40 pounds over the course of her trip because she was doing so much physical exertion that she built up her muscles. Although building 40 pounds of muscle, because she only weighed like 100 pounds at one point, mm-hmm. uh, or like 105. She was petite. So building 40 pounds of muscle is uh, impossible, I think. <laughs> yeah. I I mean, I don't know what the accommodations were like on these steamers that she was on, but having just returned from the very ill-advised but ultimately fine cruise that I went on, if you were just cruising around on a cruise ship in the ocean instead of taking your bike ride, it'd be real easy to get off weighing a lot more than when you got on. Yeah, especially over months and months, but probably not muscle weight. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, she continues to delight me, even though I think if I actually knew her, I would be like, you are infuriating. Yeah. <laughs> but also apparently so charming that a lot of people didn't care, even while all of those articles about her being a fraud were circulating widely in the U.S. She was still packing lecture halls, like sellout crowds every time. People were obsessed with her. So uh, one of the other things we didn't mention in the show, I mentioned that she didn't talk about her husband or children. And she was often portrayed as this like single young woman traveling the world. But to kind of like weasel out of what predictably happened, which was many men showing up and proposing to her at random times, she would also claim that like that was another stipulation of her bet was that she could not become engaged over the course of the trip. Mm. <laughs> it's kind of awesome. She's a lie for every occasion. <laughs> oh, Annie. So our second episode this week was on the eradication of Renderpest. Hooray for eradicating disease. Hooray for eradicating disease for sure. Hooray for the opportunity to take an extended look at an error we made many years ago (laughs) on the show. Um, Also, researching this was a surreal experience, not just because we are living in the middle of a pandemic um, and a lot of the things that were being discussed in the the attempts to stop Renderpest also are relevant now. Things like uh, isolating people slash uh, cattle, in the case of Renderpest, uh, might be uh, might be infected. Um, that like stopping the movement of the cattle to prevent the spread of disease, all that kind of stuff. But also, 
I read the weirdest paper. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This paper was called British Physicians, Medical Science, and the Cattle Plague, 1865 to 66. Uh, It was written by someone named J.R. Fisher. And it talked about that whole effort in, um, in Britain to try to stop a render pest outbreak by vaccinating the cows for smallpox. So that's weird on its own. I mean, there were... There was a logic to it. There was a logic to it. In earlier times, people had also noted some similarities between render pest and smallpox. They did not make that up out of thin air, but they were on 100% the wrong track. But where it got really weird was it read like it was out of a Terry Pratchett novel. (laughs) There was a clerk involved with all of it whose last name was Helps. And then this uh, medical officer who was described discussing the situation with the Cattle Plague Commission was literally named Tripe. (laughs) And, uh, And the whole thing was just so strange and surreal. And it had this quote in it that said, uh, quote, the episode was not one of the more glorious in English medical history in the 19th century. And I just, I, the whole time I was reading that paper, I was like, am I dreaming right now? Have I fallen into some kind of weird pandemic uh, alternate reality where everyone's name is comical and the person writing the paper is um, just delightfully glib about the state of things? Maybe. Maybe. We're going to find out later you, you, like, completely wrote the whole thing in some sort of Tyler (laughs) Durden-esque moment of your life um, for self-amusement and self-care without knowing it. Yeah. I thought you were going to say the thing that you found funny was that this episode connects to a kajillion other episodes. It does connect to a lot of other Quite episodes. Quite by accident. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I, I feel like that happens more and more, and it's natural because as we cover more and more history, we're connecting dots anyway. But this one really was like, yeah. and also that, and also that guy we talked about just a little while ago, and also this one too. Hey, do you yeah. remember that episode? Like, it's kind of a, a fabulous connector point. Uh, it also connects to things that we didn't specifically call out it connecting to, um, like the fact that that Coke's research was happening in South Africa at the request of the De Beers company, and like that has tied to previous episodes where we've talked about the diamond industry and uh, all that kind of stuff. Like there, it, there, it was just a whole web of things. It also does a really good job of making it clear that that things that happen in history aren't confined to the things that that human beings are saying and doing. They are also related to animals. Like, we've, we've talked about a bunch of natural disasters on the show before, like volcanoes and floods and earthquakes and that type of thing. Um, we haven't talked about as much about uh, times that there have been huge things related to animals in history. Like, the things that I can think of are uh, this episode... Um, the one on the rabbit-proof fence in Australia after rabbits had been introduced to Australia and uh, and there were attempts to to curtail the rabbit population with these fences. The, the emu war was more of an isolated incident <laughs> in history, but right. like, uh, I don't think we've spent as much time on how, in a lot of ways, humans and animals are deeply interconnected uh, in the world. What? That's ah, so weird. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think we really have either. And it is one of those things that um, it's easy to lose track of, but that will lead to all kinds of trouble. Yeah. So 
uh, I think that's a good place to leave it off for today. Um, if you want to send us an email about this or any other episode, anything we've talked about on the show recently, we are at historypodcast at iheartradio.com. And you can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or the iHeartRadio app or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.